Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. Today is a healing episode where I speak with Liz, who is an amazing couples therapist, and she basically tells you all the things that you need to know to not get divorced. So like, I don't think that you want to skip this one. It is a very important episode. But before we get into that, going to do a little solo, answer some of your questions, and then as it goes, we will get into the episode. It's so funny when I ask what you want me to talk about before the episode, I'm shocked to hear that you guys want to hear more wedding planning stuff. Like if it were me, I'd be like, okay, it's enough. I've heard enough. I don't know what else I really have to say, except that we have a date and we have a venue, which is amazing. But the guest list stuff is ruining my life. Like I genuinely am so torn because there are some people, there are some people I even had told to save the date that I'm not inviting because ultimately it's a really small wedding. And I mean, I'll just tell you, like I only have 50 people of my own people that I'm inviting to my wedding. 50 people. Like think of birthdays you've had with more people than that. This is my wedding. And I literally only have 50 people that I'm inviting. Like not even. It is wild. And it's tough because like some of my friends can't come. And that's a reality. Like you can't plan your wedding around your friends. You know, like we were losing a groomsman and it, and it's so shitty. But this wedding world in post pandemic or mid pandemic is different. And you only get a certain amount of dates. There's not a lot available. You got to kind of take what you can get. And, you know, if you want to get married anytime soon before 2024. So it's, it's in process. It is in process. Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson and their charts. I will say I love this. And the reason I love this is because I just want Kim to be happy. I love her. She's a Libra. She's a good person. And you can tell. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are people who hate her. She had a birthday party during COVID. You know, there's things that she's done that are not ideal citizen, whatever. But I love her. I think she's a classy biatch. And she's not a biatch. She's just a classy 
sweet, kind woman. And I love her. I want her to be happy. If Pete Davidson, by the way, apparently he has a really big dick. So like, I'm not surprised there because literally everyone wants to date him. He's also like, everyone's like, ew, why would she date Pete Davidson? Pete Davidson is tall. He's smart. He's funny. He's got a big dick. And he's definitely hot in person. Like there's just no doubt in my mind that he's not hot in person. Everyone's like, oh, he's ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that if Pete Davidson hit on you in person, you would say no. Like I am sure, sweetie, because you wouldn't. He's got charm. He's like, he's got it. You know, he's clearly got something to have made it this far in his life. And you know, he's a Scorpio and Kim's a Libra, but she's an October Libra. So similar to Scorpio, they both lost their dads. So I imagine that that's something that connects them in a way. And I think it could work. I really do. I think, you know, I looked up their charts. So Kim, I already, I didn't even need to look up her chart. She's a Pisces moon, which is really interesting because that's water. And he is a Scorpio, which is water. So that just there like gets along well. He's a Capricorn moon like me and Capricorn moons. We like Pisces moon. We like the emotion. It, you know, brings us back into it. And I think that they could work out. I guess only time will tell, but we'll see. Do you think that people that have been engaged before and broke it off move quicker or slower in the future? From my experience with friends in this situation, quicker. I actually know like offhand a few people that have gotten, that have broken off engagements and then they're engaged again within like a year and then married quickly thereafter. And I think that's because of a few things. I think first of all, you know exactly what you don't want. What you broke off is what you don't want. And then you find someone who you do want and you're like, I'm ready because I've been through all this shit and I'm fucking ready and let's do this. And so let's either go like go to the courthouse and get this over with so I don't have to deal with the stress that happened the first time I was engaged, you know, or whatever. But I think you just know yourself and that's why you got engaged in the first place. It just was to the wrong person. Moving on tactics slash hacks. There's really no hack. Like I wish there was if I could tell you that there was a the one way to move on, and that was like my episode title, then like I'm sure it would get a bunch of hits, but it just wouldn't be the truth because there is no one way. It's different for everyone. What's worked for me in the past is immediate like distractions and just going out, starting to date again, letting myself be upset when I'm upset. I think, and I always say this, like, I like to date right away after a breakup because then I'll only fall for someone if I really, really like them considering I'm emotionally like unavailable for the most part. And then also like it's fun to kind of like get your groove back, especially if you were dumped. Then I'm like, I'm going to go out there and let a million guys be like obsessed with me so that I know that I'm fucking hot shit. And if they dumped me, that's their loss, you know? Like whatever you got to do to make yourself feel better, to make yourself feel good. Maybe it's go to the gym, move a little bit more, maybe go get a tan, take a vacation, do whatever you want because it's your emotions and like, you know, go to therapy, but put yourself first. 
the best part of a breakup is that you no longer have to deal with someone's shit. So celebrate that. Like celebrate yourself and the fact that you don't have to report to anyone. Just don't go off the deep end. How did you used to spend so much money on weed? Like what were you buying? Great question. So I celebrated three years of sobriety a week ago. And I had shared on my Instagram that I've saved like $12,000 in the past three years. I am embarrassed to say that I used to spend, I think it was like $170 a week on weed. I would go through whatever that equates to in weed, more than an eighth. I think it was like a half pound maybe of weed a week. I mean, can you believe that? That's like actually elephant-like how much weed I was smoking. Like, I I mean, I'm sure it's not surprising that I wasn't getting high at that point because like what? My tolerance was out of control, out of control. And weed these days is really strong. So like that is scary. Gift ideas for taking significant other or sorry, gift ideas for significant other taking into account different time markers. So for one month, six months, long-term, et cetera. One month, I'd say pay for their dinner and maybe get their favorite chocolate or dessert. Six months, I think you can get something a little nicer. Maybe it's like a shirt, like a button down, a sweater, a scarf, gloves. And then long-term, I think you like step it up a little. Like I would get maybe that item of clothing and then also an experience. So like also like an omakase or a like a tr- a weekend trip an airbnb somewhere like something that's like you know a little bit nicer again like it's not about the monetary value like and if you can't afford it then like you make them like i always love this like a book with different things like a coupon for an hour massage from you you know i'm your like your chef for the day and I'll make you all these meals, you know, whatever it is, you can always think of something and be thoughtful um, no matter what. Like even if you're like, you know, in law school and you can't take the time, like there's always a way to kind of celebrate someone. And I think the longer you date, like you should be continuing to step up the gifts. Like I'll never forget an ex of mine. He got me a really nice gift for my first birthday. And then every birthday after that was shitty. It was like shittier and shittier. I was like, wait, what? Like, this is not how it should work. And then lastly, someone asked, the future of We Met at Acme, will it evolve with you and your life changes? I actually just talked about this with our new producer. Say hi to Marshall. Testing Marshall to see if he's listening. No, of course he is. Um, He's actually also single and really cute. So um, we'll be exploiting him on Instagram at some point. But... Anyway, it will hopefully evolve. I think a lot of our listeners have been here are like OG listeners. So maybe you're engaged, maybe you're getting married, maybe you're having babies. And I think to pretend none of that is happening is weird. Like I've always been so open about my life with you guys. Why would I stop now? And also when you get engaged, when you get married, like you never stop dating you're always dating your husband. You're always dating your wife. You're always dating your partner, no matter how old you are. And then I also plan to continue to have guests on who are maybe in different situations or maybe single or maybe dating or maybe, 
you know, people of all ages and all kinds of relationship scenarios. So I continue, I want to continue to be open with my life, with my marriage, you know, with everything that I can be to be helpful to all of you who have been so loyal for so long and even new listeners, because maybe that's interesting to you. And maybe just like the openness and honesty will be something that you can relate to. So thank you for listening. And I'm excited for you to hear Liz. Here's the thing about the transition from fall to winter. And then I'll stop talking about it. It's just like, it's a thing. And your skin, it changes. Or maybe not yours because you're blessed. So like, good for you. But mine does. It gets drier. It doesn't do it for me. Like all of this stuff pops up out of nowhere. And I need products. I need products that I didn't need before. Maybe when it was a little bit more humid, you know? So I'm really grateful to have been able to partner with Milk and Honey. You've probably heard of Milk and Honey. It was founded and bootstrapped by Alyssa Bayer. And today, the brand accounts for seven luxury spas and salons. Sadly, none in New York, but in Austin, Houston, Fort Worth, and in LA as well. It's really amazing. And Milk and Honey have bath, body, and skincare collections that you need. The Skincare Hero set is unbelievable. I mean, it literally has everything to save your skin from itself. It's got a gel cleanser, a hydrating rose mist, intense hydration cream, which is what has been getting me through this horrible weather. They've got a headband even, sponges, a rose quartz roller, like all of the skin products that you absolutely need. And if you live in any of those areas, I highly, highly recommend going in for a hydrofacial, a massage, any sort of manicure, pedicure, waxing. I mean, they do it all. It's really, really amazing. Milk and Honey is a line of bath, body, and skincare born from the spa and made with safe ingredients in small batches in Austin, Texas. Milk and Honey's products are developed alongside their in-house team of estheticians at Milk and Honey Spa. So really, really, I'm telling you, this is the place where you should be going for all the skincare needs that you have, especially during this transitional time. And we met at Acme listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com with code Acme. That's milkandhoney.com code Acme for 20% off your next purchase at milkandhoney.com. Definitely check out the Skincare Hero set if you have the ability to take a bath, the art of the bath set, and they have amazing essential oil candles. So I'm telling you, they also have amazing other brands too. So check it out at milkandhoney.com and use code ACME. It's finally getting cold in the city. And it's so funny because there's no fall. Like it literally just goes from really hot, sweating profusely to freezing to death, need two pairs of socks, just like in a second. But that's what living in the city is like. And it just, it is what it is. But my favorite part about the cold, and I feel like so many of you guys will agree, is soup season. Like, is there anything better than a stunningly delicious soup? Actually, yeah, there is. And it is a stunningly delicious soup that's actually good for you and doesn't make you feel like poop. 
Um, And that is why I am just here to tell you about Daily Harvest because Daily Harvest is absolutely delicious. Not only do they have amazing like harvest bowls and soups that are perfect for this transitional period, but they've also got smoothies, like really good smoothies. I love the acai and cherry smoothie because... I'm just like having an acai moment. When I was in LA a few weeks back, I had this amazing acai bowl. And I was like, if only I could recreate this at home. So I just like doubled up on my daily harvest acai and cherry smoothies. And they're just delicious. The perfect on-the-go snack or healthy dessert, whether you're, you know, running around the city or whatever you're now doing, like back to being in person. I'm telling you, you want to have a Daily Harvest smoothie in your bag. It is just the best. They're all built on whole organic fruits and vegetables. And they stay fresh in your freezer. So they're ready whenever you are. It's really perfect if you're in New York. Honestly, wherever you are, they deliver and it's amazing. And you can get up to $40 off your first box. Like that's pretty sick, no? Go to dailyharvest.com and enter code ACME and you'll get up to $40 off your first box. Enjoy this time of year even more like I do with Daily Harvest by going to dailyharvest.com. Don't forget to enter code ACME and you'll get up to $40 off your first box. I'm Anisha Ramakrishna and I'm an Indian entrepreneur and TV personality with big dick energy. You may know me from Bravo TV's Family Karma and of course, social media. I grew up in a very conservative Indian family, but I have always forged my own path and live life on my own terms. I recently left my successful career in New York City and my long-term relationship to pursue my own fashion business. I'm single in my mid-30s and I live with my parents. I'm currently cringing and I know you are too. Join me as I spill the chai on my own cringeworthy personal life experiences every Thursday, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with couples therapist and author of I Want to Make This Work, or is it I Want This to Work? I want this to work. I want this to work. Liz Earnshaw. Hi, Liz. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I also love that title, I Want This to Work. Such an important thing to say when you're in a relationship. So before we get into all things couples therapy and stuff, I would love to know, and I'm sure our listeners would love to know more about you. So Liz, how old are you and where are you from? I am 35. I'm about to be 36. And I am from Havity Grace, Maryland, but I live in the suburbs of Philly now. So I've I've been around. I love it. And wait, so does that make you a Libra or a Scorpio? I'm a Scorpio. Oh, wow. Love yeah. that for you. Um, that's amazing. I'm on the cusp of being a Sagittarius. So I pick whichever horoscope I like better from month to month. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean you're November 22nd? I'm November 21st. Ah, I see. I see. Yeah, so you're good at that. I try. I try. But what is your current relationship status? 
I am married. I have been married since, oh my gosh, I can't even remember now because I keep going back to my kid's birth date. I've been married since 2015 and my husband and I are super happy together. We have a really healthy, good relationship. And we are also parents, as I just mentioned, of a little boy. That's so nice. When is his birthday? His birthday is July 14th, 2017. A cancer. Yes, he's a cancer. We love a cancer. My fiance is a cancer, so I'm a big fan. What do you love about them? I love how like in tune with his emotions he is as someone who is maybe not so in tune with her emotions. And I love that he loves like being home and like home cooking and hanging out with his family. Like I feel like those are really nice qualities that typically cancers have that he definitely has. So I like, I like those things. Can you can you relate to that with your husband? Yeah. Well, so actually, sorry, that was my son's birth date, but I can 100% relate to that because he always just wants to be with his family and he talks about his feelings all the time. It's adorable. He's like, mommy, I feel very mad right now. I'm just feeling so (laughs) mad. (laughs) Wait, that's so cute. Wait, so your husband is not a cancer? No, my son is the July birthday. Sorry, the wires crossed. My husband's birthday is September 30th. Oh, he's a Libra, even better. Libra, yes. So we have very close birth dates. I love that. Well, he just celebrated a birthday. So that's awesome. Yes. So, I mean, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. But basically, the first thing that I'm curious about, because you said that you have this great relationship, which it seems like you do. Have you two ever been in couples therapy? And do you believe in it as like a preventative measure, even if there aren't necessarily issues? Yes, totally. So my husband and I have gone to couples therapy a few times. So we went before we got married to a premarital counselor, which it was a really hysterical experience. (laughs) We did that. And then, and, and things were good. We were just going to make sure we were having the right conversations and that we were on the same page. And then after we had our baby, we went again and I wish we would have gone before for prevention, but we went after because if anyone out there is a parent, you might be able to relate. We were really getting on each other's nerves as parents. And so we wanted to talk about that and make sure that we worked that out before it became a bigger issue down the road. You know, most people wait like six years to address problems, which right. problem. So we went right away. And then we went again when we were about to move, actually, just to kind of talk about all the stressors that were going on with that. We had a lot going on with work and parenting. And so we've been to three different couples counselors and each time has been a totally different experience, but I think really important because it just makes sure that you're talking about what you need to talk about. Yeah. Had you, like, had your husband ever been resistant to this or did he kind of know, like he signed up to date a therapist and like, this is what comes along with it? Yes. So my husband very much respects the therapy world and he is very different from me. So he's very private and 
I'm the type of person where I'm like talk a lot, but I don't say very much. And he talks a little, but when he talks, it's like what he needs to say. So yeah, I love seeing a therapist. I'm like, I want to go and talk and whatever comes up, it's fine. And if we argue, it's okay. And he's more the type of person that's like, what are we going to talk about? I feel like this is private. I don't know that we need to share all of this stuff with this third party. Can't we just figure it out on our own? So he's on board because he knows it's important to me. But I think that, and I'm sure a lot of people out there relate to this. He's not as um, excited about it as I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely relatable. And just backing up a little bit before we move forward with more couples questions. How did you guys meet? On Tinder. <laughs> we Stop. met on Tinder. I love that. Yes, I know. It was so funny. He, my, actually my best friend was getting on Tinder and she was really nervous. And so I was like, I'll do it alongside you if we, if you want to mm-hmm. do it together. But I had no thought that I was going to actually meet somebody. and he was one of the first people I matched with and he was very direct and was like, Hey, look, I'm not on here to like chit chat with people. I would love to just meet and see if we connect. And we met and it ended up, we had mutual friends and all sorts of stuff. And so it, it progressed very quickly from there, but yeah, we swiped right on each other. That's so cute. I love that. And I feel like Tinder gets such like a bad rep, but I know like a few couples that are, have been very successful from meeting on Tinder. So you never know people listening, try all of the apps. So I guess we'll just get right into these questions because there are a lot and we don't have that much time. But one person asked, this is more of a general question. What are the best practices for conflict resolution that you uh, share with your clients? That is... Or patients rather. Yeah, really good question. So there's two different types of conflict. There's conflict that is a little bit more cool-headed conflict. So you're frustrated with each other. You might have a difference of opinion. In that type of conflict, it's really important to practice all of those types of skills that you might read about, which is being able to slow down, show curiosity, listen to the other person's perception, and make it your goal not to come up with a solution, but to understand your partner's position back in front. So if, if you were your partner, could you explain their position? If you mm. can that, you are actually more likely going to get to a solution. When people get entrenched in their own positions, and so they just keep sharing what they think, what they want, what they want the solution to be, you usually don't tend to get anywhere because then you rub up against each other. And so if you can slow down and get to a point where you can say to your partner, I totally get where you're coming from. You make a ton of sense. I get why this is the direction you would want to go in or why this is your opinion. Your partner is also going to be more willing to work with you and to understand you as well. So it creates some flexibility. Now, there's another type of conflict, which I call hot conflict. And that is when people are really upset with each other and kind of in an out of control place. And that type of conflict doesn't really get resolved by saying, you should just listen to each other. Because at that point, your nervous system has taken you offline. So you're not going to go, oh, I'm just going to sit here and listen to your perspective because you want to scream at the other person or stomp out at that point. So what's really important in those moments is learning how to self-soothe 
So it actually has nothing to do with what you're doing with the other person. It has more to do with what you're doing with yourself, which is being able to narrate who I'm out of control right now, or I'm really angry. I'm not going to say anything that's helpful. What could I do to disengage and to take a deep breath and to get my body into a calmer place? Yeah, that's really helpful. And especially the the first thing that you said, I can relate to a lot because I feel like when my partner and I will fight, we both do a really good job of explaining how we feel. So it's almost like the other person can't pretend that they don't understand how the other person feels because we we lay it out so clearly. And and I feel like that's a big part of why like our fights don't escalate in that way. In like past relationships, I don't even think the person I was dating was willing to like explain in depth how they feel. And I feel like that's a huge like indicator of, of if your relationship will succeed as all, at all. And like, and a lot of um, men are like this, especially like not willing to explain how they're feeling or things like that. And like, that's also an indication that therapy or couples therapy would probably be helpful to them, I'd imagine. 100%. Absolutely. Somebody asked, how do I not let my significant other's mood affect me? They're sometimes really negative and it makes me sad. No, that's really hard. So first of all, it's going to affect you. And I don't know how you, you know, there's no like not affecting living with someone who's always negative. Right. And if you're a person who tends to be a little bit more positive or have the ability to like assume the best or, or whatever it is, it probably will impact you even more. I think that's something that's really important when, when this happens is number one, is your partner negative or is there another way that you can describe it that creates a more compassionate stance about them? I think if you're calling your partner negative, it's a little critical and likely it's not going to change anything in the dynamic. Now, if you're saying, Mm. no, 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 they're just totally negative. That's who they are. You might want to reflect on like, do I want to be with this person? But if it's, they're not usually negative, but they're just super stressed this week, or there is something happening in our lives that is very upsetting to them. And they tend to talk about it a lot. So trying to take a different stance to kind of access what's happening can be really important. And then being able to talk to them about that. So if you go to your partner and you say, you're always so negative, that's critical. They're going to get defensive. But if you go to them and you say, Hey, look, I know you've been really stressed recently. And I get that. And I just need to let you know that when you're bringing that into our house or our lives, it adds a lot of stress for me. And so it would be really important for me that you learn other ways to channel that because the way it's happening right now impacts me. So what that's called is gentle startup, which is being able to start the conversation gently from a space of compassion but then also being really clear about how something's impacting you and what you want to see be different. Now, another piece of this might be having boundaries. So if your partner is negative about certain topics, maybe not expecting that they're going to change around that. So if they are always negative about talking about what's happening with the pandemic, let's say, you might want to avoid talking about that with each other. You might just say, I know my partner is always annoying to talk about this with, so I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to other people about it. So boundaries, gentle startup, trying to reframe what's happening can be helpful. 
That's so interesting because when I hear that, I'm like, if I can't talk to my partner about a subject, I'm like, "Mm, do I really want them to be my partner? But you're right. I mean, you should just like figure out ways around it. And and it can be normal that some subjects are just not fun to talk about with your partner, which which is totally fair. Somebody asked a more general question, which is what is the leading reason for divorce that people don't realize before they're married? It's a really good question. And I love it because I think that a lot of people look at surface areas for their, their deal breakers. You know, I want to be in a relationship with someone who has the same educational level as me or makes this much money or whatever. But those types of differences actually don't lead to divorce. It has to do more with how people communicate. So the number one indicator that people are going to get divorced is that they use really poor communication habits with each other that lead to something called the distance and isolation cascade, which means that as they communicate, they learn to turn away from each other more and more and more. And they do certain things that make them do that. And those things are called the four horsemen. So John Gottman has done, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. John Gottman's done a ton of research on couples and there are four habits that in particular lead to that distance and isolation cascade, criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Criticism is saying things like always and never, you're always so lazy. You never help me. You never show me that you care about me. Defensiveness is exactly what it sounds like. It's constantly defending your position, using the word but all of the time, taking a victim stance, over-justifying. Stonewalling is when you shut down during important conversations. So you just won't share what you're thinking, what you're feeling. You won't take in what the other person is saying. And then contempt is criticism supercharged. So contempt is actually out of the four of them the very number one predictor because it's the worst of all four. And it's when you start belittling. So it's not just saying things like you're always so lazy. It's saying something like if your mom could only see how you behave, she would be ashamed of you. Or I have never acted the way you act in public. Once you get to that point, the relationship has Mm. lost respect and once a relationship loses respect, you're no longer going to be able to have intimacy. It's so interesting because contempt to me is like thinking that you're like, even just thinking that you're better than your partner. Yes. And it, like, you don't even have to say it. If you think it, it's it's over. It's over. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because contempt isn't just what we say, it's how we behave. And so once we start thinking of thinking the other person is someone that we have contempt for, we make a facial expression. It's the only unilateral facial expression that human beings make. And only one side of our face shows disgust and the other side stays frozen. So your eyebrow goes up, your lip kind of smirks at the other person. And if you're walking around looking at your partner like that, and there's videos of couples that have been studied where their faces just look like that all of the time with each other. Yeah, your relationship is pretty much over. Mm-hmm. Is there any coming back from any of the horsemen? Like, for example, I work, like I actively work on my defensiveness. It's just like something that I've had since I was younger. Like I've had to be, I had to defend myself in like fights with my sibling or like, you know, to my parents. And so it's like a behavior that continues on and it's more like a fighting for your life type thing and less of like an I'm a victim. Um, 
but like, this is something that like I'm working on in therapy. Like, is, is there any of these things that you can come back from? And like, what are the ones that you can come back from? If so, all of them, you can come back from all of them. And I like that you said, these are things that I learned because almost all of them, or actually all of them are usually things that we've learned and they made sense at some point, right? Like we had to be defensive or we had to be critical to get a need met. It's the only thing that got attention or we had to show contempt to keep ourselves separate from people that were hurting us. And they are really, really common. I have used all four of these in my marriage. The problem is, is when they are chronic and there is not effort to shift them. And so even being able to interrupt yourself mid-conversation and say, hey, you know, I think I just got really defensive. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to try again. That in itself is huge. Honey, I'm really sorry what I just said belittled you and I know it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to say it again in a more respectful way. It's not that you utilize them. It's what do you do Mm. to try to fix that? Once people get to contempt, so it's harder to get out of because there's usually a level of disrespect there. And so if you don't respect someone, are you going to take the effort to change things? It's a little less likely, but I will own it. I've used contempt because I was modeled that growing up and it just slips out. Sometimes I can say mean things, but what I do recognize is it has nothing to do with my respect for my partner in those cases, but it does have to do with the way that I understand respect. And so I really work on that. I work on making sure that I'm not using it. And if I do, I own it. There's actually four things you can replace all of each of these horsemen with criticism, replacing it with that general startup I talked about defensiveness is just taking responsibility. So saying, I'm really sorry. I just got defensive. What are you trying to say? Let me understand. Stonewalling, learning to take a deep breath and self-soothe. People who stonewall are usually incredibly overwhelmed. And then contempt is learning how to own your own feelings. So instead of saying, you should be ashamed of yourself, being able to say something like, I'm really frustrated right now. And being able to do that can start to move you away from that contemptuous language. Hmm. I remember when I first went into therapy, my therapist at the time told me that there was someone and maybe it was the Gottman's, but there was like a, someone that could predict divorce within five minutes of meeting a couple. Have you heard of this? Yeah, it was Gottman. And it's, it's using his research on what he calls them the masters of couples or the disasters and couples that stayed together the longest in all of the studies were couples that used certain types of communication tactics with each other. And then couples that he dubbed the disasters were using things like the four horsemen and they were doing things like turning away from each other and not expressing appreciation and all sorts of stuff. And so when he interviews a couple, he asks them to enact a conflict. And by watching the conflict, you can see if any of these predictors of divorce are there. I think he's kind of backtracked a little bit on saying he can predict you're going to get divorced. He can do it with that type of accuracy. But what it is, is that any of these things that you see in those first few moments tend to show that there is the potential for divorce because there are a lot of things happening that aren't nurturing that relationship. Yeah. I, for some reason, I, I recall it being something like when you fight, 
is there like completely like dead in your eyes almost? Or like, can you sometimes break out laughing in the middle of your fights? And like, if you can break out laughing in the middle of your fights, then like, you're probably fine. Yes, totally. So people who can still access relational behaviors are usually really, they do well with conflict. So one of those relational behaviors is humor. When we get really overwhelmed in conflict, our facilities start to shut down. And one of the first to go is our relational capacity because unfortunately our bodies don't recognize that the threat we're feeling is relational. It feels the same as any other threat. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you just need to survive. I don't care if you can joke. I don't care if you can offer affection. I'm going to shut all those things off so that you can run from the saber-toothed tiger or fight the grizzly bear. Unfortunately, if that happens in your relationship, you struggle then to offer affection. So that's why people will say, don't hug me right now. Get off of me. I don't want you to touch me. You'll struggle with humor. So somebody will try to bring the heat down and they'll make a joke and you'll say, what's funny? Nothing's funny right now. They'll struggle with just accepting to taking a break. So a relational behavior is being able to say, we're not doing a good job right now. Can we take a second? And if you are offline, if you feel so much threat that you've kind of disconnected from your relational behaviors, you're going to say things like, no, we can't take a break. You need to talk to me. So yes, humor is a huge, huge good sign. It means that you're not getting so activated that you've lost your capacity to stay relational. Yeah, I I agree with that. And even though sometimes it, I, don't, I try not to laugh, it's, it's good to laugh during a fight for sure. When I was growing up, and I wonder if anyone agrees with me, like low socks were the move. Like if you had low socks that like you could barely see, you were just like the coolest person in school. The coolest. And now with Gen Z being a thing it's not cool anymore. And all of my clothes, like all of my socks are low and it's not cool. And I didn't know that. Like I am now just learning that. And so I was like, oh, great. I have to get all new socks. And like, even with workout clothes, like when I wear my girlfriend collective outfits, I have to also wear the socks because... Otherwise, I'm first of all, not cool. But second of all, freezing today, like in this weather, freezing, freezing, freezing. So if you don't wear Girlfriend Collective, which you really should, like their compressive rib stuff is amazing. It completely sucks you in. Not that you need to be sucked in, but like I do, you need to be wearing Girlfriend Collective to work out. But you also apparently need to be getting crew socks. So you can get them on their website as well. They're really cute. They're only 14 bucks. And that's not even including our discount. So you really got to go on Girlfriend Collective because it's sustainable and it's ethically made activewear for everyone. They make socks that I mentioned. They make cute and comfortable bras, leggings, shorts, tanks, tees, swimsuits, and more. And people are always asking me how I have the motivation to work out. 
it's because of my outfits, mostly my Girlfriend Collective outfits. For listeners of the show, Girlfriend Collective is offering you $25 off your purchase of $100 or more. Whether you get leggings or just a million pairs of socks, go to girlfriend.com slash Acme and you'll get $25 off $100 or more when you go to girlfriend.com slash Acme. That's girlfriend.com slash Acme and you'll get $25 off your purchase of $100 or more. I recently did a poll question asking people how often they masturbate. And I said one to two times a week or three to four times a week. And most people said one to two times a week. And I challenge you to step it up. I really do. I have my period right now, which is the worst. And masturbating is the only thing that gets rid of my cramps. Like I am not kidding. I don't care how much Midol you can tell me to take, how much Advil. Absolutely not. The only thing is an orgasm. And if you haven't tried that when you have your period, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Like you need to. And also it's extremely fun, like really fun. I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't even masturbated ever in your life, I mean, you need to try Dipsy. Like, absolutely. I mean, you've got to have a fantasy, you know? We all have a fantasy. And I'm not saying you have to tell me what yours is, but you can tell Dipsy because when you go to dipsystories.com slash Acme, you're going to get 30 days of full access for free. So basically that's free masturbation material and any story you want. Like maybe you have like a random, I don't know, Willy Wonka sexual fantasy. Who knows what you're into? Maybe you don't. Maybe you need to listen to different stories and discover that. They also have wellness sessions to help you wind down like at the end of the night and sleep sessions to help you drift off. Because what better way to sleep than masturbating beforehand? Like that is the only way to get to sleep. And most people know that. For listeners of the show, as I mentioned, Dipsy is offering you an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Acme. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash Acme. That's dipsystories.com slash Acme. I challenge you three times a week, minimum. On the other hand, somebody asked, what are the signs for you that a couple is likely to make it? Oh, I love that question. So definitely the opposite of the four horsemen. So couples who bring up topics with respect and gentleness, couples who can hear things that are hard without getting super activated and defensive that show respect to each other. Those are really, really good signs. I break down the good signs as being the three R's I call them. So if there's respect and if you have respect, you're not doing the four horsemen stuff, right? You will do it, but you're repairing it and you're not doing it chronically. And you show that you really Mm. value the other person. The second R is responsiveness. So with responsiveness, it's it's you turning towards your partner. If they are having a tough day, if they're sharing a story with you, if they're expressing a feeling that you don't dismiss it or ignore it or shut them down, that you're responding and engaging with the other person. And the third sign of a healthy relationship is having reliability. So reliability is commitment. It's trust. It's being able to predict 
who the other person is. You know, with my husband, I know who he is. He doesn't act one way one week and then like ghost me the next week. He doesn't go right. from being super sweet to super mean within like 20 minutes of an interaction. So anything that falls into those categories of respect, responsiveness, reliability, those are the things you want to look for in a relationship. Yeah. It's so important to like catch yourself in those moments. My fiance and I were on a trip recently and he's got like a little nerdy, dorky part of him. And he had downloaded this app where like it translates another language Like when you put your phone up to it, it just translates it. And he was showing me this like description because we were in Italy and he was showing me a description that was translated. And it was not something that like I cared about, you know, obviously. And I looked down at my phone at that moment and it was just really bad timing, but I had gotten like a work email and I could tell that he was really hurt by that. And that was like disrespectful of me. And, you know, I was thinking about it and I've just done so much therapy that I was like, I need to like make this right. And so when we were then on our way back and had passed like another description that he could have translated, I was like, can you like, can you do me a favor? Will you translate this and like read it to me? And like, I just know it meant so much to him. And it's like this little thing, you know, if they're leaning in to show you something like you, you need to like, you need to just go with it, even if you don't care, like it it just makes them so happy. And I feel like that's just such like an important thing. Um, But so sweet. And what you did, you actually did several really good things there. One is that you recognized your own responsibility and you were just like, okay, I can own this. The second thing you did was you repaired. So you found a way to go back to that topic and make it right. And then the third thing you did was you turned towards his interest, even though it's not your own. And so all of those things are just so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's taken lots of therapy, but (laughs) we're finally, uh, we're finally closer. Somebody asked, why do men and women handle breakups in such a different way? Hmm. Good question. So I would say that if we're talking in generalities, because not all men and women handle breakups in the same way. I've worked with many women who their breakup, they handle it by grieving for a long time and struggling. And I've worked with many women who they just cut off. They're done as soon as the relationship's done. And I've worked with men who grieve for a long time, feel upset. I've worked with men who just cut off. So I think my assumption with the question would be that they have experienced women as dealing maybe with a breakup with more emotional experiencing, and maybe men is dealing with the breakup as being more cold. I could be totally wrong because again, like I said, I've seen people deal with it across the board, regardless of gender. But if that is what you're talking about, one thing that is different often because of socialization between men and women is what they think and feel about emotions. And because of that, they respond to their emotions differently. So while a couple might break up and both of them might be grieving and they both might be struggling with the breakup, one person might value emotions. And because of that, they might be more willing to feel them, to express them to their friends, to even, you know, contact their ex and say, I'm so sad. I miss you. Whereas the other person, and I think in this situation, the man might be less likely 
to feel like they need to talk about their emotions and express their emotions. Doesn't mean they're not feeling them. They're just not necessarily thinking about the same processing as as the other person. And because of that, they might seem a lot more cold or cut off at the end of a relationship. Another thing that comes up after breakups is that the person who ends the relationship sometimes has been thinking about it for longer. And this doesn't have to do with men or women. It's just who ended the relationship. And so you might find that the person ending the relationship is just totally different spot than the other person. And because of that, they've already processed through their emotions, thought about it, gotten to a place where they're just not grieving anymore. And so that could be one of those differences that shows up as well. That resonates so much because I I get a lot of shit because I moved on from my ex quickly to my now fiance, but it was that exact thing. Like I had grieved already. I had literally done all the work and it, and it is shitty for, cause I've been in the other position too and like bl- kind of blindsided. And then I had to start doing my healing process when that person had already finished. So I'm just, I'm feeling validated that you brought that up so that I know that. And that also uh, applies to like, you know, a lot of people will say, is this person ready for a relationship? They just broke up with their partner, you know, as long as I always say like, you don't never know. They could have been over it for quite a while. So it's not like always a rebound necessarily. I agree with you 100%. And I'm really glad you said that. Can everyone work through issues if they're willing to, right? Or are some people just better apart? It's a really good question. So yes, if you and the other person are both willing to work through things, there's certainly probably the capacity for any two people. If they are literally both committed to working on it to maybe figure out a scenario where it feels good enough for them, right? But does that mean that it's the right relationship? Not necessarily. So if me and person B are both totally committed, but we don't agree on the same future together, but we're really trying to like navigate that and compromise and blah, blah, blah. Maybe we both can work towards accepting that we're not gonna get the future we wanted exactly. And at the same time, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily settle for that. So there are plenty of couples who they don't fight, they respect each other, they have had lots of conversations, they're lovely towards each other, and they decide that they're not right for each other because they have some core needs that just can't be met in the relationship. A huge example would be Mm -hmm. kids, right? Like one person really wants kids, the other person doesn't want kids. And yes, could those two people decide to stay together and potentially have a valuable relationship that works? Sure. And they might also decide, even though we can do that, we don't want to because we just have opposing needs. And that's totally okay too. Yeah. This is a funny one. So we do these poll questions on our Instagram and somebody asked this question and it was very mind-blowing to a lot of our our followers. They said, my current significant other is in breakup therapy with their ex. They call it off-ramping. Is this remarkably mature or completely insane? What do you think? (laughs) 
<laughs> what were the poll results? It was 91% completely insane. <laughs> okay. So I don't know because I don't know the whole story. I would say that quote, conscious uncoupling can be healthy. Certainly if people are in a really long relationship and they're trying to talk it out and figure out how can we end this without blowing our worlds up, that tends to be when there's a lot of joint assets. And I don't just mean like money, but people will do like breakup therapy, divorce therapy, if they own property together, if they have children, like the types of things that you will need to continue navigating respectfully with each other. Now, my curiosity here is, is why are they still in breakup therapy and there's this new relationship? And maybe the answer is, well, they have a kid together. So they're trying to figure out how to co-parent. That would make sense to me. Or Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of like anything like that, where there's some continued need to communicate. But if that's not the case, I'm wondering like, what's the emotional attachment here? Like what still needs to be worked out between these people? Yeah. Yeah. So part of me is like, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of strange unless there is an (laughs) actual tether, like a child. Other than that, I'm not really sure what else they would need to talk about. Like maybe a few sessions of breakup therapy, but like long-term, I don't think so. Yeah. A few people reached out and they were like, are you sure they're in breakup therapy and not couples therapy? (laughs) And you are not their new significant other? Yeah. That's what my question is. It's like, what's (laughs) the actual story? I would love to hear what the therapist thinks that they're treating here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This one's pretty simple, but it does come up a lot. How do you set boundaries in early stages of a relationship? It's super important to set boundaries at the beginning of a relationship. And it's actually one of the hardest times to do it because you're so pumped with love hormones that are making you feel super passionate and excited and willing to like throw it all away so that you can connect with this person. I encourage people to definitely think about basic need boundaries if you struggle with boundaries. So are you getting enough sleep? I know you're madly in love with this new person, but do they text you at midnight and then you run out to hang out with them and you're out until 5 a.m. and then you're late for work? So definitely paying attention that you are getting your basic needs met is incredibly important. But it's also really important to think about what are the things that bother you later on in the relationship? So for example, if it really bothers you when people are late, and this is not a one size fits all answer, you're going to have to come up with your own answer. But if it bothers you when people are late, then you have to be willing in the beginning to set boundaries with that. So if you're waiting at the restaurant for 15 minutes and you keep getting a message, oh, I'm still looking for parking. It's going to take me another 15 minutes. You have to have the confidence to say, for me, it's really important that you're on time and I can totally be flexible with like 10 minutes, but this is 30 mm. minutes now. So I'm going to go home. It might be something about the way they treat other people. So if they're rude to your friends, are you able to say, it's really important to me that people I'm dating are really kind to my important people. And, and you weren't tonight. So I'm going to have to ask you to like go home and we're probably not going to hang out with my friends as a group anymore. So are right. you able to in the beginning, 
say that something's not okay, even though your, your hormones, your, all the hormones pumping through your body, wanting you to connect with this person are going to try to convince you, oh, but it's cute or it's just them, or it's a one-off. Right. Even if it is just a one-off or it's just like who they are, a person who is going to be a partner who works with you will respond to your boundaries well. They'll be able to say, you're right. I shouldn't have been late. It's ridiculous. Go home. I'm going to make it up to you next weekend. I will be on time. Or I can't believe I acted that way. I don't, you know, that wasn't okay for me to ask such a rude question to your friend. Can I apologize to them? Like you're going to see the reactions to your boundaries. And those reactions are really important information for deciding what to do next with the relationship. How does the being friends with an ex get into that and the boundary thing? Like if you're feeling all the hormones and you're in the early stages and then they get a text from someone who you know is their ex because you've stalked them on Instagram and you're like, are you still talking to your ex? And they're like, oh yeah, like they're one of my good friends now. And it makes you uncomfortable for that relationship to occur or for them to have any friends maybe that they've slept with before, depending on what you're comfortable with as a person. How do you say something without seeming controlling and too demanding? Yeah. So first of all, sometimes it might seem demanding or controlling, and that is kind of going to be the other person's perception and you can't necessarily control that. But I like that you said it has to do with your own comfort level. So some people you might see that and you might think, you know what? I actually don't mind it. And other people might think, I just don't, I know myself and I know that that's not something that I'm going to be okay with. And the way you just said it was really lovely, but it's essentially just being able to say, Hey, I saw that you got this message from Sarah. And I'm wondering like, what's going on with the two of you? I definitely suggest Mm. that you open it up with curiosity, not saying something like, why Sarah still texting you? That's off limits. But what's going on? And whatever answer they give, then letting them know your actual reaction to that. So if they say something like, you know, I don't know, I think I'm going to have to let her know that I'm dating someone because I don't know why she keeps texting. And that feels good to you saying, oh, that would feel really good to me. Thank you. But if they say something like, oh, we're still best friends and we talk a lot, even though it's hard, you have to let the person know that makes me uncomfortable. Like I can respect that that's where you're at with this person. And I'm not sure if the type of person that's going to feel comfortable with that. And so I need to think on whether or not I can continue this relationship with you if you're still engaged with, and I don't mean engaged, like getting married engaged, but if you're still engaging with with your ex. And that is such a hard Mm -hmm. conversation to have because you're setting yourself up for the truth. Sometimes you're setting yourself up for the other person to say, well, I'm not going to stop being friends with them. Then you have to follow through with your boundary. But the sooner you can talk about it, the better. Mm -hmm. This is so hard because I want to keep you for like so long. There are so many questions, but we only have time for a few more. This one is very interesting. And I feel like partners experience it on both sides. What to do when your partner's libido has tanked and they don't do anything about it? 
Yeah, that's a tough one. So one of, I, I actually run a company um, called, or I'm a co-founder of a company at our, called ours, where we help couples to understand their relationship. And one of the things that we talk about the most is differences in desire levels. And it's really interesting because our main program is a premarital program and people before they're even getting married struggle with this issue where they feel like one or both of them have had the sudden change in desire. And they say exactly what this person says. It's tanked and the other person isn't doing anything about it, or they'll even own it themselves. They'll be like, I don't know. I don't have desire and I'm not doing anything about it. I don't know what to do about it. I think the first thing that is important is normalizing that desire changes throughout a relationship and the way in which you're going to feel driven and motivated to have sex with each other changes throughout a relationship. In the very beginning, it's very common for both people to have what's called spontaneous desire, which means you just look at your partner and you get in bed with them and you have sex all morning long and you, you have sex everywhere and it's all you're thinking about. And then over time, those honeymoon hormones, they start to wane and that's normal. But what then happens is that you start to more likely get into what's called responsive desire which means that you're not just going to be thinking about sex all day. And some people will continue to still have spontaneous, but it's more common for one or both people to be responsive. And when you have responsive desire, it isn't that you think about sex and then you do it. It's often that you need to be put in a situation that feels sexy and then you will want to do it. You'll have more desire. So if you have a partner who their desire has changed, they likely have something that's called responsive desire, which means that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you, but they need to be in a situation that's going to make them want to have sex. And one thing I would suggest is that you talk to them about what that situation needs to be for them. And we call it accelerators and brakes. So accelerators are the things that make people want to have sex and accelerators might be things like sexy clothes or something that smells good or being clean. But the other thing that could be an accelerator is a clean house, feeling like your partner was emotionally engaged with you all day. And so you have to be able to talk to each other about what's an actual turn on. And then you need to be able to talk about breaks and breaks are things like a dirty house, having a partner who hasn't talked to you about their feelings recently. So you're feeling disconnected. So I would definitely suggest to this person that you step back and you try to try to understand what is happening for them with desire. What would be a turn on and what's a turn off? There are so many amazing questions. I'm like thinking that we might have to do a part two if you're up for it, but I'm going to ask two more. So this one's really interesting and I have a feeling I know what you're going to answer. What words do you use when you know one of them is right in a couples therapy session? Mm -hmm. Like if I think one of the partners is right? Yeah. Well, I just say that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I just say, I usually say something like, you know, I'm here to support your relationship and that there Mm -hmm. are going to be times where I have to give recognition 
to one or the other that the person has a point. And right now, what I'm hearing from so-and-so is X, Y, and Z, and I tend to agree with them. And then I'll usually ask how that feels for the other person. You know, what's it like for you to hear me agree with your partner and kind of like process through that with them. But yeah, I just, I say it, I say it outright. Would you ever recommend divorce? Mm -hmm. Totally. Absolutely. It's rare because most of the time people have to make the decision for themselves. Most of the time people are in relationships, even if they're mediocre, where it's like, you know, I'm not God here. I'm not going to designate what you need to do. There are times though, where a relationship is so dysfunctional or there's abuse, or it's just really like sad to watch how disengaged they are, where I will either lightly suggest it in the case of maybe just disconnection, like, hey, we've talked for a long time. I've seen X, Y, and Z. There is always the option to separate. And maybe that's something we need to look at right now. If there is something Mm. more serious, like abuse, obviously I have to do it in a very, I have to, I have to dance with the couple in a way that's going to keep the person safe. But I will usually meet with one of the people individually and say, clearly this relationship needs to end. It is not a safe, healthy relationship. And what can we do to make that happen? Another time I'll do it is if there is continued betrayal. And that's something I would say to both people. I would say, look, you know, there's been 8 million affairs and we've, we've worked through each of them and nothing's changing. And I'm wondering at what point are you going to be ready to get a divorce? So yeah. Yep. Definitely suggest it sometimes. Last question, and then we'll wrap up, unfortunately, because I I could do this forever with you. But what would you say to a couple who's been together for two years and are bored, are just bored in the relationship? Bored when they go to dinner, not much to talk about. Is that enough to just be like, maybe we should throw a towel in? Well, they have to decide if it's enough for them. So some people will say this relationship is so boring and I don't know if it could change. And so we're going to throw a towel in. I would say though, that you're going to have to, no matter what relationship you're in, you're going to have to figure out how to navigate that because every relationship gets boring at some point. How could it not? If you're together all the time and if there's not new novel things happening, then it's going to feel boring. And so you can decide, do I want to learn to navigate boredom with this person? Or is this not the person for that? Or do I want to learn to navigate it with somebody else? What I would suggest Mm -hmm. is if you want to navigate it with that person, then it's both of your responsibilities to think about how do we create novelty again? And if you are bored, it's probably because life has become pretty humdrum. You're not trying new things. So are you willing to come up with fun new date ideas? Are you willing to have adventures with each other? Maybe you need to take more time apart. You might have to spice it up by getting some more friends or having some individual hobbies. But no matter what relationship you're in, you're going to be bored sometimes. And you have to decide, do I navigate it with this person or am I going to navigate it with with someone else? Mm -hmm. Liz, thank you so much for your wisdom. I feel like this in itself was a free couples therapy session for anyone who's willing to listen to it. Do you have a quote or piece of advice or maybe something from your book that you can share with us before before we end? Yeah, absolutely. So something that I love to leave people with is 
to remember that when you are in a relationship, it's a two person system. And that if the relationship starts to feel crappy, it's because one of the parts is out of balance. Either your relationship has two individuals who have become too self-focused, which means that they're only thinking about what they want, what they need, how they feel, what they're going to do with their time that day, or you have an individual who's become too other focused, which means that you have somebody who has lost themselves and they are just obsessed with making sure the relationship is okay and that the other person is comfortable and the other person's getting their needs met, but not themselves. Mm. And so in your relationships, it's important to continually check in with yourself and each other. Am I doing enough to take care of myself recently? And am I doing enough to take care of you? Is there some balance here? And if you can do that with each other, you're going to be able to catch things before they go too far. That's really great advice. Thank you so much. Where can everybody follow you, find you, maybe like if you're accepting new patients and then read your book? Yeah. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at Liz listens. If you want to connect with me and work with me, I'm not currently taking new clients, but I do work with a company called actually let's actually go.com where we are bringing modern and fun premarital counseling to the world. And I have designed all of the programs. So it's like working with me, but you get to do it in your own time, in your own home. And my book is called, I want this to work. And it's a guide for people in relationships to learn how to be good to themselves and good to their partner. And you can buy that literally anywhere books are sold. Amazing. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. It was so good to talk to you. 